Life moves fast, and amidst the chaos, we try to keep up and manage and balance. Then, when it finally feels like things are under control, they begin to fall apart again. You wish you could just stop and focus on all the things that actually make you happy. But there's no time, and things keep moving, and all these things need your attention, and not so fast. Breathe. Reset. Let yourself lean into the peace of simplicity and accept the gift of stillness that comes with quieting your soul. Refresh. There's something more, something bigger, buried beneath all these things you're piling on. A connection with God you don't want to miss out on. Refocus. The things that are blurry and unclear in the midst of chaos come into focus as you look through the lens of Christ. The peace you're hungry for, it's right here. And it starts with giving up the worry and control you've been feeding yourself. Goodness can be found in the chaos, but there's greatness in the depth of relationship that comes through calming your mind and trusting in prayer. Is your life running off the rails? Does it feel like all hope is lost? Not so. Fast. Well, good morning. It is good to have you here, and it's always great to be together as well as with our Skagit campus, with those in Boca Raton at the Trinity Church of God, as those in Belize, those online. Uh, glad that you're with us today as we finish up this series. In 1970, I've mentioned this before, our family moved from Ruston, Louisiana to Vancouver, Washington. My dad was a pastor, and we moved into the parsonage. That's a house that the church owned there right next door to the house. And the interesting thing was this house was not only between the church that my dad was a pastor of, the First Church of God, but on the other side of the house was the Nazarene Church, so it was like this holiness sandwich with me, the baloney in the middle or something. But I grew up in that church, in, or in that house, for about four years we lived there until we moved to our own home. But a lot of great memories in that house, and Saturday mornings were memories of classic cartoons like Scooby-Doo and the Jetsons, and often on Saturday morning, depending on the weather, my brother and I might engage in a board game, something like Sorry or Trouble, remember Pop-O-Matic on the Trouble board, and, uh, and the Game of Life was one of our favorites. My dad, as I said, was a pastor, and one of his duties was to go to the hospital, visit parishioners who were in there for various reasons, and the Vancouver Memorial Hospital was like three blocks away from our house. You could walk there, but occasionally, um, there would be some people that were in hospitals in Portland, which was across the river at either Best Kaiser Hospital or Providence Hospital, and there were some Saturday mornings when he would come in to us kids and say, hey, I've got to go make some hospital calls in Portland. Anybody want to go? And it wasn't a command, it wasn't required, it was an invitation to go with our dad. And so sometimes we would, one of us or two of us or all three of us would go over there and, and we would get in his 1963 Volkswagen Bug. Uh, it had a six volt system in it. So it didn't have enough power to, to power a radio, so there was no radio in it. Six volts uh, Volkswagen Bug. And away we would go over to, the, to Portland for these hospital calls. And sometimes on the way home, we might stop and get a donut or maple bar or what have you. But really, the, the benefit was not so much the maple bar, but it was that time with Dad. Because we would talk about anything and everything. And because there wasn't a radio, sometimes we would sing goofy songs. Or he would tell a joke. He was a master storyteller. Or, or just, it was just being together with him. 
and he invited us into that. The only way that we could have that connection with our dad was if we left Scooby-Doo behind in the game of life and took this invitation to connect with our father. Some of you know where I'm going with this illustration. Might be just a little obvious. That's a picture of what we've been talking about and what I hope we will engage in as we've been looking at this ancient spiritual, spiritual discipline that has been practiced for thousands of years but is largely ignored by the American church today. It's this discipline of saying no to some things, some good things like Scooby-Doo, ro and the game of life, and to connect with something even better. And it's the discipline of fasting, this fasting of saying no in order to say yes. And so that is, as, as we've been talking about that, that is one of the things that I long for us to be engaged in. Now, the working uh, definition we've been using for fasting is this, the voluntary denial for spiritual purposes. I don't want to twist your arm. I don't want to manipulate. I don't want to guilt you into anything. It's voluntary, willing, and hopefully even eager. My prayer has been that this will become, as we hear and learn and grow and explore this, it'll become so compelling we will want to try this out. And it's to, to forego something, to say no to something, not a vice, but something good in order to, for spiritual purposes. It's not for health and, and medical purposes. The, that might be secondary, but that's not the primary reason. And it's not a political fast. It's a spiritual fast to connect with our Heavenly Father. It's to carve out some space so that we can have this attention and focus on God and his purposes. Now, last week, I shared with you that I've done it wrong a lot. I have fasted in times when my motives were wrong, when my attitude was wrong, when I was selfishly motivated, uh, when I was doing it pridefully or when I wanted people to see it. I've done it wrong a lot. I told you that. But I feel like I also ought to tell you there have been times when I've gotten it right, when I went in with genuine humility seeking God with an attitude of, of just wanting to connect with him. And, and willingly saying no to, to spending the time focusing on God. And in those times, there have been some incredible connections with my Heavenly Father when I walked away from some things, when I said no to some things and intentionally said yes to Him. And there was a man in the uh, 17th century. It was a monk. His name was Nicholas. He's known as Brother Lawrence. After he died, there was a book published kind of about his own spiritual journey, little tiny book called The Practice of the Presence of God. And the essence of it is that he spent his whole life learning to be preoccupied with the presence of God so that no matter where he was, washing dishes or at the communion table, he would have the same experience with God. I want to tell you that the closest times that I've ever had to truly practicing the presence of God have been in days or seasons of fasting. When it was done right, when those stomach growls or that reminder of what I'm giving up points me to Jesus and to recognize I'm with him and he's with me. And that's my desire for us as a church, that we would experience that individually and collectively. And now I said that we were going to spend three weeks learning, discovering, exploring, and today's the culmination of that. And then we were going to have a three-week experience where we would, those who want to, we'd be invited to, to try this, to practice this ancient discipline. So today is the, the final week of the series, and, um, and I just say that, that today, I, I don't know that today is, is so much like a, a sermon. I mean, we are going to revisit a, some biblical fasting out of the book of Daniel. We looked at it briefly last week. I want to spend more time with it today, so if you want to follow along, you can turn to Daniel. But then I want to spend some time at the end really talking about just some practical logistics, some stuff, because for many of you, this is brand new. And, and again, try to, to maybe clarify some things, clear up some, some fog and misunderstanding, give some ideas 
some instructions and hopefully inspire, and then some next steps for us as we enter into uh, this season of fasting. So with that, um, let's, let's talk about a, a little bit of biblical fasting before we get into some of the logistics. In the first week of the series, I talked about how Israel, the people of, of God, had some uh, compulsory facts, uh, some mandatory fasts that they were to do. The Day of Atonement, the whole nation was to pray and fast on that day. And then during the Babylonian exile, there were four times in the year where they were to fast. Once in the 10th month of the year, the fourth month, the fifth month, and the seventh. Each of them uh, corresponding or correlating with an event that happened in the seas and the destruction and the, uh, the overthrow of Jerusalem. When Nebuchadnezzar came in and he took this over. And when Nebuchadnezzar came in and, and overtook uh, Jerusalem and destroyed it and destroyed the temple, he took many of the residents from Judah back to Babylon. That's the exile. And there's question, there's uncertainty about how many actually went. And scholars disagree on this. Um, the most conservative would say that, that, Babel, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar took 20,000 people from Judah back to Babylon. Some would say it's up to 45,000. Regardless, there were tens of thousands of people who had been stripped away from their families, stripped away from their city, stripped away from their culture, stripped away from everything they've known, and they were taken to Babylon. God revealed to the prophet Jeremiah that this exile that he was doing because he loved his people, he says, I know the plans I have for you, and I've got a hope and a future for you, but he had revealed to Jeremiah that this exile was going to last for 70 years. So the vast majority of people that were taken from Jerusalem would never ever return to Jerusalem and the young ones who were taken to Jerusalem if they ever came back to Jerusalem would be well into their 80s or 90s if they lived long enough. And in that, while Jeremiah is telling the people who are in exile, that, listen, this is gonna last for 70 years. Go ahead and settle down, have kids. This is gonna be home for a while. He writes these words in Jeremiah 29, 7, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I don't know if you can understand how ridiculous this sounds. That these are their enemies. They've destroyed the temple of God. They've ripped families apart. They've destroyed their, their national identity their spiritual heritage, they're taken as slaves to, to Babylon, and God says, I want you to pray for them. You see here the grace of God. You remember when he calls Abraham, he says, I'm gonna bless you, and by you, all nations will be blessed. You're blessed to be a blessing. Jesus would say, bless those who curse you, pray for your enemies. You just see the goodness of God saying, listen, you're in time out, but I want you to be a blessing even where you are. Another thing we find from this story is actually a reality of life that some of you have experienced is that sometimes those who are in innocent suffer the consequences of decisions that those who are not innocent make. Some of you have experienced this in your homes with your parents or an uncle or a spouse or, or siblings or what have you. And what we find is while Israel was being disciplined as a nation, there were pockets of people who were still being true to Yahweh, still walking in his ways, still following his laws and his commands, still obedient to the Torah. And yet they suffered the consequences as well. So Nebuchadnezzar takes 20 to 40,000 people away and there were some specific individuals that he asked to have brought to Babylon. So this is where we get to Daniel. Daniel chapter one says, then the king, that's Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, which is the name of your next child, by the way, <laughs> chief of his court officials. He, he orders Ashpenaz 
to bring, and here's where he gets very specific, bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family. So these are the ones I want. Which little by, side note, this is why Prince Harry and Meghan have bailed on Her Majesty's uh, stuff, okay? If that ever happens in England, they don't want to be associated with family. Just kidding, all right, relax. Bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. And then he says, and there's a specific group I want you to handpick. I want young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. So here's this involuntary draft, and there's 20 to 45,000 people, but there's a specific group of these young men, young, definitely under 20. They're handsome. Hey, hey, Cooper, come help me out. Quick, run, run. I've asked Cooper to come help me out. So he asked for some specific guys, guys that are young, guys that are handsome, guys that are talented, guys that are skilled, like Cooper. <laughs> Cooper, how old are you? 11. 11, okay. So these would be young teenagers, somewhere in that 11 to 18-year-old range, guys like Cooper. And while their parents may have been exiled with them, most likely not, because they were trying to take them away from their heritage, trying to take them away from their Hebrew background, from their, their culture, and try to re-indoctrinate them into all things Babylonian. So you have these young guys, and he says, I want you to pick the brightest and the best of them, guys like Cooper, good-looking, strong young men who are smart and talented and, and quick to, to go forward. All right, so then he says this. He says, among these were some from Judah, and here are some of these young guys, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, these four guys, the original Fab Four. These guys are young, they're handsome, they're the Babylonian boy band. These are the Jonas brothers of the day. They've got everything going for them. And he says, I want them. And if their parents had been exiled with them, I pretty much guarantee he would have separated them from their parents. These guys have seen their city. They were locked up in their city for six months while there became, the food became more and more scarce and became a famine. They saw the walls broken. They saw the temple destroyed. They saw their whole country decimated, people going to Egypt, people taken to Babylon, people staying there, separated from their families. And these guys know, because of the word of Jeremiah, that if they ever get to go home, they will be 80-some years old. A young man like Cooper, who's taken from everything he knows, everything he loves, his whole identity, and he knows if I ever get back there, I'm gonna be 80 some years old. All right, Cooper, thanks. He did a great job, didn't he? All right. So Nebuchadnezzar wants to make sure these guys are separated from their past and from their identity, and they're indoctrinated into all things Babylon. So he gives them a different name. This is where for some of you go, oh, okay, I remember this story now. He says this. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach. Okay, now we're going. To Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. He said, I don't want you to identify by your Hebrew name. I want to take you away from the Hebrew God, your Hebrew uh, history, your families. I'm giving you a brand new name. And the interesting thing about these names is that they are, they, the suffix is very important. Whenever a name like Daniel or Mishael ends with E-L, L, 
that was short for Elohim, which was the word for God. And if one was in with Yah, like Hananiah or Jeremiah or Zephaniah or Zechariah, those kind of things, the Yah was short for Yahweh. So these guys, their names actually have the name of Elohim and Yahweh, God, in their names. And their names means, and their parents gave them these names specifically. My guess is these came from devout Jewish families. The individuals, their parents, were still following the Torah, still doing God's will. Because their names mean this. For Daniel, God is my judge. And for Hananiah, Yahweh is gracious. For Mishael, who is like God? And Azariah, Yahweh has helped. Notice, every time they even say the names of these four guys, this little small group, this quad, every time they say their names, it speaks a message. Every time they call on each other, it reminds them of who their God is, that there is a gracious God who helps, and there is no one like him, and he is the judge. And it reminds them of that Shema that they had said every morning and every night of their entire life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And they just continue on in that. And Nebuchadnezzar gives them this pressure to try and, to try and pull away from that, to, to not identify with that, to, to change, to conform, to compromise, and to be something different. Well, the interesting thing about this, these four guys, is not only their names, but as you'll see, their names and their lives were God-centered. They were God-centered. Here are these teenage boys that have been stripped from their families. Their moms and dads aren't there to watch what's going on. They don't have to answer to their parents anymore. The priest isn't there. They don't have to worry about what, what the priest says. And now, They've given, given great opportunity to compromise. They're given the, the, the food from the king's table, which probably, most likely, absolutely would not have been kosher. This was like the forbidden fruit. They were never allowed to eat this stuff, but who's gonna see now? And wine from the king. They're not even 21. And here are these teenage guys, and yet they recognize by the name of Daniel, God is our judge. We don't have to answer to our parents someday. We don't have to answer to the priest someday. It doesn't matter what any of the other Hebrews do. We will answer to God and they stay true to God. They decide they will not defile themselves with this royal food. In fact, Daniel goes to their leader and says, we don't want the, the, the food from the king's table and the wine. And he says, no, well, you're gonna have it because I'm not gonna get in trouble for this. And so he says, we looked at this, he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. These are, let, let me tell you, have you ever met a teenage guy that would say this? I mean, these, these guys, have you ever met any guy that would say this? These guys are amazing, but the reason being is they don't want to defile themselves and go against the word of the Lord, the Levitical dietary laws. And they said, just give us vegetables. You know, in the, in the, in the, things that are kosher, you couldn't eat dairy products and meat in the same time. There had to be hours of separation. They couldn't be, you couldn't do that. You couldn't have those together. They couldn't be cooked with the same utensils. So they're saying, let's just eliminate that altogether. Let's just do the vegetable thing and give us some water and, and then let's see how we do. This was a fast. This was voluntary. No one commanded them to do it. Their parents didn't. The priests didn't. The, obviously those in Babylon didn't. It was denial, they were denying some of this food from the king's table and the wine, and it was for a spiritual purpose, to honor their God. And after the 10 days, they bring them in, they look better, they've learned faster, they're smarter, they're, they're way ahead of the class. I mean, it's just an amazing thing, and so they continue on. All right, a year later, 
King Nebuchadnezzar has this disturbing dream. These guys are still in the training camp. They're gonna spend three years being trained and conditioned for this. They're not even in the active service yet. So they're still in kind of this, this Babylonian boot camp. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream and it bothers him. So he brings in all the magicians, all the wise men and all the smart people. And he says, okay guys, had this dream, I need you to interpret. And they're like, okay, what was the dream? He goes, well, that's a bit of a problem too, so you, I can't remember. So uh, if you could tell me the dream and then interpret the dream, that would be good. And they're like, yeah, we, we can't do that. And he says, well, then I'm gonna just kill you all. This is the kind of, you don't wanna work for this guy. So, so he, he, he sends them out to kill all of these guys. So they come to kill Daniel. He's not even one of them yet. I mean, he's still in training. They come, here comes the grim reaper. Hey, Daniel, today you die. And this is a little bit my paraphrase, but you can read it for yourself in Daniel. And he's kind of like saying, so now tell me again why I'm dying today because I can't remember what I did. They said, well, you didn't do anything. It's these guys can't interpret this dream and the king won't give it to them and they can't figure out what it was, so you're all gonna die. And Daniel says, can you give me a minute? Let, let me have a try with this one. And what he does is that he calls together this small group, of guys, his quad. He gets these guys together, and just by getting them together, he reminds them, Yahweh is gracious, and who is like our God? And God has helped. And just saying their names reminds them that, listen, we serve the one true God who is so gracious and is there to help us. And he calls them together, and this is what he says to them. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. He brings these guys together and he says, guys, I need you. We need to do this together to plead for mercy. Now, the Bible does not explicitly say this, but I think I can build a very strong case looking at Daniel and his friends, their patterns, their lifestyle, and what has happened historically. When Jewish people were serious about seeking God and pleading, they would pray and fast. Now, it doesn't say that specifically. I want to be clear on that, but I think it's, I think it's greatly implied that they together come together to pray to humble themselves, to seek this God who is gracious and who has helped in the past, and they pray and they fast. And God, God answers the prayer. And, and, and not only is Daniel and the boys saved, but it, it blesses the community because the other wise men are saved as well. Now, the reason I tell you that is what we see here with these guys is that they are in an environment, they are in a culture, they are in a setting where they not only have permission, but they have pressure to compromise their standards and conform to that which is ungodly. But what we find them doing is pursuing God together. And I say that because we live in a culture, in an environment, in a time where there is not only permission, but there is pre pressure for us to compromise and to conform to standards which are not godly. And that's why it is so important to be surrounded with other brothers and sisters, to be in a small group, to be in a quad, to fellowship together so that there's, there's help and there's encouragement and there's accountability, just like these guys did. And here they come together and they unite together and they agree together and they pray and they seek the Lord and God delivers in a big way. There's something special about when God's people come together in groups. It's amazing that we can go to God one-on-one. -on -one. That's fantastic. What a blessing. But Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst. That There's something unique. There's something exponential. There's something special that happens. 
That's why when Esther and her, and her uncle uh, realized that the Jewish people were gonna, be, were gonna be wiped out, they didn't just do this. To, Esther said, get everybody together. Let's all pray and seek God and let's fast. That, that's why when, when the king of Nineveh recognized that, that they were gonna be wiped out, he says, let's, let's all, perhaps God will be gracious, let's all humble ourselves and, and fast and pray for God to do this. This is why. As your leadership, your elders and your pastors, we are so excited about this whole fasting thing to think of what could happen if we together with proper motives humbled ourselves and sought the Lord God. I mean, this week again, our elders got together and this week our our pastors have been praying for you, for us, as we go into this season, that together we would willingly deny ourselves and pursue that connection with our Heavenly Father. So Daniel, he's there. He's there for 70 years. And in those years, God uses him. And in those years, he fasts the four times a year. And his life is an impact. He fulfills what Jeremiah said there to do. He's a blessing. His impact is immense. His influence is incredible. His insights, all of these things. And there are a few seasons where we see again that he goes outside of the four times of fasting where he he fasts uh, in, in addition. And one of those is in chapter nine. He says, so I turned to the Lord God and I pleaded with him in prayer and petition. There's that whole pleading with him. And in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. Now we understand prayer and petition. That's going to God and asking. We're learning about this whole thing of fasting. The sackcloth and ashes is new to us. But we have a garment for each one of you as we go into this season. I'm just kidding. Uh, Let me talk just briefly about sackcloth because sackcloth was a form of fasting as well. Sackcloth was not fashionable and not comfortable. It was a way of denying yourself something that was very becoming and beautiful and very soft and, and comfortable. It was made of very coarse material, probably black goat hair, some would say. But this sackcloth was a way of saying, I'm gonna willingly deny myself some of the creature comforts of even my best fitting, most comfortable clothes. And it was an outward expression of an inner reality. It was an outward expression of, of humility, of, of repentance, of, of desperation, of seeking God. And Daniel does this. And then later, when we looked at this one briefly last week, it says at that time, this is another time. He's probably in his 70s now, maybe even early 80s. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks And then he talks about his fast. I ate no choice food. Now, depending on what translation you're using, uh, it might say I ate no delicacies. It might say I ate no rich food. It might say I ate no tasty food. There's a a lot of different things. Uh, One says I ate no pleasant bread. And as I began to look at all the different ways of translating these words, I began to realize the actual translation was apple fritters. It's this delicacy of this, this pleasurable, tasty bread thing. He, he says, I ate no choice. There, were, there was a part of my diet, of this rich, you know, wonderful stuff that I enjoy, that I, I, I ate none of that. And no meat. This is something he did when he was a teenager. He says, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to go with a vegetarian diet. I'm going to put the meat aside. And no wine. He says, I'm taking alcohol out of my, my whole routine for these three weeks. And I don't want to go down too much of a rabbit trail. This may have been 
a part of a Nazarite vow that he took during these three weeks. You can read this uh, in Numbers chapter six if you wanna learn more about a Nazarite vow. But if you took a Nazarite vow, it was to set yourself apart, to consecrate yourself for God's purposes for a set amount of time. And part of the requirements, there were three in specific, part of them was that you would eat nothing from the vine. No wine, no grape juice, no vinegar, no grape seeds, no, okay, all right. So that could have been that. And he says, I use no lotions at all. This is like the creature comforts. It's just a part of my life that I'm just, I'm just not, I'm gonna say no to this for these three weeks. And the purpose was to seek God. Now we'll come back at the end to see how this worked out for him. But what you see is, is in Daniel's life, fasting was a part of his routine. And God used him incredibly. And maybe, maybe those two things are connected. And he says, I've done this. And then he said, until the three weeks were over. Now, in the Bible, there are people that fast for a day, for three days, for seven days, for 10 days, 14 days, 21 days, 40 days. And we decided for this experience, we were going to go with what Daniel did. And so this season of fasting and prayer for us is February 1st through 21st. And we're just going to invite you all to be a part of it. Now, if you haven't been a part of this series, you're going, we can't eat for, relax. We've covered that, but I'll cover it again today. Just hold on. Don't shut me down yet. Listen with an open mind. You're just, just hear me out. Is that we're going to enter into this season and experience this beautiful discipline of saying no to Scooby-Doo in the game of life to have this incredible connection with our Heavenly Father. And there's a key, I think, as we carve out this space to connect. There's, there's a key that's so important. And that is, we often, when we hear fasting, we just think about what am I giving up? What can I do? What can I eat? What can I... It's giving up and filling up. This is key. Because we spend so much time on the giving up part. Well, I can't do this, and I'm not gonna do this. And that's part of it. What if we spent as much time and energy and prominence and focus on what we're filling up instead of just what we're giving up? This is where I want to spend some time of just kind of talking through some, because it's so new to some of us. So how do we do this? And what does this look like? And what would work for me? And I want to give you some ideas. I want to put out there some stuff that, that you may say, hey, I could do that. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you see something that, that we talk about here, and you think, that's interesting. Maybe that's it. Just jot that down, because that could be the prompting of the Holy Spirit saying, this is what I have for you. And I'm going to give you a bunch of ideas, and I'm not going to mandate what you do, but just to, to understand, what is it we are giving up, but what are we filling up with? All right, so let's talk about this giving up first. Now, the normal, regular, most standard way of fasting is to give up food. It's to say, I'm not going to eat. I'll drink water and maybe some light juice, but I'm not going to eat. And some people might say, well, I'm going to try that for a meal or for two meals or from lunch to lunch or for a day or for three days, whatever. We're not asking you to, to do that for 21 days, okay? But some of you might say, I'll, I'll try that. And, and instead of eating in that time and, and I'm going to focus on God and when my stomach growls, it's going to remind me to just replace it with, with looking to him. But for some of you, that would not be wise at all for medical reasons or, or with medicines that you take or whatever it might be, uh, your diabetes or your pregnant lady, whatever it might be. I don't, there might be some of you, it would not be wise. For some of you, you might be saying, man, this is all new to me and I can't even imagine giving up food. Okay, well, we got some other options here. For some of you, you might say, 
I want to fast, but I want to fast more than just a meal or two or a day or two. And so maybe, whether it's a health concern or this is new and you're just trying this out or you want to extend it, maybe you do like Daniel did. And maybe it's a partial fast. Maybe there's a part of your diet you say, for these three weeks or for a week of this, I'm going to do without this. So here's this list. Uh, and this isn't exhaustive. It's just, you know, off the top of my head, Daniel said, you know, no meat. And he went away with the dairy and actually the, the one with the carbs. Maybe you say, you know, fast food. Or maybe it's just like, for this season, I'm not going to eat out at all. We're just going to put that aside. Alcohol, caffeine, soda, energy drinks, uh, sugar, desserts, snacks, dressings, whatever. Maybe say, okay, I'm not going to not eat. But there are some things that if I don't eat them, I'm going to miss it but I'm gonna intentionally say no to those things and replace it with feasting with my heavenly father, okay? So last week we introduced this whole concept of a soul fast or um, like the non-dietary, non-necessary uh, things. So at our staff meeting this week, I just said uh, to our staff, I said, help me brainstorm a list so that we could share it with you as an idea of some things that are not necessarily dietary that you might give up. And the staff did a great job, and they came up with this list. So get mad at them, not me. Okay. So here's some ideas. You know, Netflix or Amazon Prime or Disney Plus or, or TV in, in its entirety. Just say, we're just going to turn the thing off for three weeks or for a week or whatever it might be. Instagram, Snapchat, social media, Facebook, TikTok. Grandmas, TikTok, okay. Uh, video games. Now, I, I singled out Minecraft, but that, that's not the extent of it. Some of you are really into Fortnite. Do you know what a Fortnite is? It's 14 nights. That's where the word comes from. What if you said, I will give up Fortnite for a Fortnite? It'd be a stretch for some of you. Or Candy Crush or whatever you do with friends on your phone. Whatever it might be, video games. Music. Just to say, I'm just going to turn the radio off, or the, or the CD player, or the MP3s, or whatever, the podcast. Uh, one of our uh, ladies on our staff spends almost an hour a day in her car with her commute from where she lives. And she said, for our season of fasting, I've decided that in my commute, this is part of it, in my commute, no music, no podcast. I'm going to use that hour every day to pray, to connect with God, to worship, to think about scripture. How about news? I'm not suggesting that you should bury your head in the sand on current events. But the truth is some of you are more invested and more concerned about politics than you are about the kingdom of God. And one of those things is gonna last for eternity. And maybe, just maybe, it would be okay to turn the news off for a while, CNN and Fox, <laughs> just so we can cover everybody here, and I guarantee you, when you turn it back on, it will still be there. <laughs> One of our staff said it wasn't news for him, it was ESPN. That every night when he gets the kids in bed, he goes to the ESPN and he said, you know what? What if I spent that time in the word of God for a while? All right. Notifications. So that your phone isn't ringing, binging, pinging, and whistling at you at every other second. Just kind of distracting you, taking you away or some apps, or what if you just turned your phone off for a day? <laughs> some of you are old enough to remember those days. 
That was all we had was no phone, okay? YouTube or shopping. Talked to a lady last night. She said, I'm putting a moratorium on spending for clothes and for my house. I'm just going on this shopping fast. Worry or hobbies, you know? And, and again, it's not bad things. Just say these things that I, that I enjoy, I'm gonna, for a season, I'm gonna say no and replace it with something great. I don't know what your hobby is. Bowling or scrapbooking or knitting or poker or whatever, crosswords or sudoku, so the, the little doku thing, do, do, so, sudoku, there it goes. And with mutual consent, marital relations. We looked at that out of 1 Corinthians 7 last week. That's a mutual consent one. Now this is not an exhaustive list, but maybe you say there's some things that are non-dietary that I'm willing to give up and replace with something better. And that's the key. It's not just giving up, but filling up. So when we were doing this as a staff this week, uh, Jeff Hort, our high school director, he said, maybe we should brainstorm some ideas of what people could do instead of not just what they're gonna give up. And I'm like, that's brilliant. So here's some things that maybe you could fill up with. Maybe some prayer, time in prayer, and not just now I lay me down to sleep. Maybe you take that acronym, A-C-T-S, the Acts of Adoration, and spend some extended time of just praising God for who he is. And the C, the confession of coming clean and asking for forgiveness and surrendering those areas that need to be submitted. And the thanksgiving, just grateful for all of God's blessings and his goodness and the supplication, praying for the high school students, praying for your family, praying for your coworkers. And maybe a, some true time of confession and read Psalm 51 and just become uh, right before God. Scripture reading, not just the verse of the day, but to say, you know what, I, maybe I'm going to give up my lunch today and I'm going to spend my entire lunch break, the half hour, the hour, whatever it is, and I'm just going to read an extended passage through the, the gospel or through some of Paul's letters. Again, this is not meant to guilt. I just sparked some ideas. When's the last time you sat down and read the Bible for 45 minutes? And maybe that was some, or maybe some scripture reflection to say, I'm gonna take a couple of verses and I'm just gonna think about these and, and ask God to speak to me and just really figure out how does this apply to me and, and kind of let it wash over my mind, this meditation on God's word or a scripture memorization. Say, hey, we got three weeks and, and I wanna... I want to commit to memorizing this passage of scripture. I've got 21 days, and if I do just a couple of verses a week and I could get all this done, journaling, the beauty of silence and solitude, getting out into the world that God has created and just going for the purpose of praising and worshiping him on a prayer walk, uh, worship. You know, we have our Monday to Sunday playlist on Spotify that the camp team puts out every week. Maybe to just spend some time with that and just worship God and maybe not use the Spotify at all. Maybe it's just from your heart and from your mouth because no one hears this but you and God. This is for him. The serving, maybe you would say, you know what? I'm gonna forego some of my stuff and I'm gonna go visit someone in a nursing home, help someone out that's in need, connecting with God, that practicing the presence, devotional reading, whatever it might be. Jesus calling, my utmost for his highest, uh, our daily bread, hymns, hymns. Maybe to go back, not to sing, but to read through the lyrics of some of the great hymns of faith. Sometimes when I go back and revisit the hymns I grew up with, I'm like, wow, the depth of the theology, the depth of the words, and the crafting of, of the phrasing. And it's just an amazing thing to listen. Uh, communion. Now, a little caveat on communion, a little asterisk here. So you're saying, that's it, 21 days, nothing but bread and wine. Okay. <laughs> that's not the idea. Okay. Some of you are like, I love this fasting idea. <laughs> it's not the idea. It's, that's the high-carb wine-bibber diet. Okay. <laughs> not the idea. 
It's to stop and remember that Jesus voluntarily denied his very life for a spiritual purpose of our salvation. And how beautiful to just spend that time in thinking through that and remembering his body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you. Time of celebration, time of praise and thanksgiving. It's to fill up. Remember, the new fasting is feasting, this new wineskin, because we have the presence of Jesus alive within us and his Holy Spirit dwelling within us, that he's here with us. Now, Shara Benner on our staff put together this page of resources on the website. If you go to, uh, to our website or the app, you go to cornwallchurch.com slash 21 day fast. There's all kinds of resources to help you out. Um, there's, there's scriptures in there. There's an article in there. There's a link to all of these sermons. There's a 21 day devotional uh, put uh, through uh, the YouVersion Bible. Um, there's a worksheet on helping you kind of figure out what you're gonna do on your fast. Uh, There's a synopsis of the whole day, a lot, a lot of resources. We just wanna help you with that, uh, and so you can check that out. I gotta tell you, I am so excited about this for us as a body of Christ, to get this right and to do this together. And with that, um, in the remainder of our time, I wanna just quickly give you some next steps uh, on how to do this. I told you I didn't want to twist your arm, I didn't wanna coerce you, but part of my role as a pastor is to challenge you, so challenge us. And so the first one is to decide. You know, for weeks I've been asking you to pray. God, is this something you'd have me to do? And I wanna encourage you to do this at whatever level. I'm not gonna tell you how, but whatever level. And with that, consider what and when. What is it that you're gonna give up, and when will you do this? You might say, well, I I can't do that whole not eating thing. Well, then maybe there's some dietary stuff or maybe something from that other list. Or maybe you say, I'm gonna do this something different each of the weeks. I'm gonna try something this week with the the diet thing. I'm gonna try something with the whole maybe social media thing and that second week I'm gonna try to go two meals or a day without food and that third week, whatever. Maybe you say, well, I'm gonna do this until six o'clock in the evening, just throughout the, the, the day or whatever. Um, I, I will say this, there are some of our staff that are looking at this in two different layers. One is the 21-day journey to find what are some things that I can give up for 21 days, whether it be non-dietary or portions of my diet that I'm going to give up for 21 days. It's just going to be a constant for the journey. And then throughout each week, there might be a day a week or a, a little bit you know, that I'm going to go without food on this day and, and try this out. So I just want you to have freedom. When you decide it would be very, very helpful for you to write down your plan with specificity. Otherwise, if you say, well, yeah, I'm gonna do this fasting thing and I'm just gonna kinda see what what comes up and how it works. Honestly, that just won't work very well. You might also wanna tell a friend, not for the purpose of pride, not for the purpose of, of competition, but for accountability and encouragement. Make sure your heart is right and your attitude is right in that. The second thing is to refocus. Refocus, remember that fasting is God-centered. It's all about God. And how often I got it wrong is because I was out of focus. And when that stomach growls or when you're missing that thing, that's to refocus you, to, to trigger you, to put your attention and your, your uh, focus back on God. I reference Isaiah 58, and it says, God says, is this the kind of fast I've chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is, is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord. If you read it in the context, he's saying, this is not just a a religious ritual to go through. 
This is not just a spiritual hoop to jump through. It will fall flat. It will be empty. There's more to it. There's this life transformation of becoming more like our Father and to refocus that point. And then the third one is to expect that there will be some things that you need to expect if you engage in this. One, that it's hard. If you're saying, well, no, I, I put together a fast, it's really easy. You have not challenged yourself enough. It's hard because you're breaking some patterns and some habits and some desires, some fleshly desires or, or you know, just appetites. And it's difficult. Jesus said to his disciples, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So expect that it's not going to be real easy at times. And if you happen to fail, you didn't follow through, don't beat yourself up. Get back up and start again. You can also expect a little resistance. Here's a logical question for you. If there was something that you and we did that would draw us closer to our Heavenly Father, connect us on a deeper level, give us greater insight, power in prayer, and a connection, do you think maybe, just maybe, the enemy might not want that for us? And isn't it true that Jesus suffered his greatest temptation in a season of fasting? But also expect Jesus to meet you in the midst of it. He said, when we looked at his teachings on fasting last week, and your heavenly father will reward you. That, that season when Daniel, for three weeks, was giving up some things in his life, dietary and some creature comforts, in the, uh, as he's fasting for those 21 days, it said to him, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. How cool that God is waiting, he's inviting, and he says, if you'll turn off the Scooby-Doo, if you'll walk away from this game of life, I am waiting there to connect with you. I take us back to that verse we ended with in the first week, and Joel, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children. Cornwall Church, I am inviting you to participate in what God's men and women have done for thousands of years. I'm inviting you to join with the leadership, the elders of this church, with the pastors of the church, with the staff of this church. I'm inviting you to join with hundreds of brothers and sisters sitting around you today. I'm inviting you to come together, to humble ourselves individually and collectively before God, to deny ourselves, not for the sake of denial, but for the sake of filling up with more of God and what if, what if a couple thousand of us said, we're gonna do this and we wanna seek God and we wanna connect with our heavenly father and we wanna honor him. Imagine what God is gonna do in our midst. I'm just a little bit excited about this. And I hope that you will do this, not legalistically, not with your arm twisted around your back, willingly, eagerly, joyfully, humbly, expectantly.